This photography news podcast is sponsored by MPB. There's never been a better time to make good use of your kit. Inspire others, make some extra cash and make a difference. Sell your used kit today at mpb.com forward slash sell and let someone else love it as much as you have. In this episode of the Photography News Podcast, there's Christmas prints, portrait stints, and a timely sprint through 2021's best gear. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Photography News Podcast. It is our 34th and it is the last of 2021. My name is Roger Payne. I'm the editor or director at Photography News. And in light of the fact that we are recording this with literally one week of Christmas shopping days left, until the big day itself. I'm going to introduce my two colleagues based on which one of them is most likely to be interrupted by a knock at the door from a present wielding courier. And based on our conversation that we've just been having, I'm going to introduce first contributing editor, Mr. Kingsley Singleton. Hi, Kingsley. Good morning. Good Hello, morning, both good of morning. you. How are you? How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm sort of yeah, like on a like a coiled spring waiting for the door. <laughs> so this will be presumably one of your many, many presents that you'll have ordered um, to to come and arrive in time for the big day. No, I don't. I know I don't do my shopping until you know. I'm not. I'm. I wouldn't say Christmas Eve, but like you know, I'll I'll happily leave it till the twenty third um, <laughs> right. because I like I like the frisson of of danger and I and I and I like the I like the looks of of disgust and pity that you get from shop staff you are fulfilling the male stereotype beautifully yeah by the sounds of it and also joining us um whose mom i thought was going to be less likely to be jumping up to a christmas courier but perhaps it is more likely is editor of photography news mr will chung hi will morning chaps how are we both okay we are we are good i think so it sounds like you could more likely be interrupted by a christmas present wielding courier well, it's very possible. I'm down with my partner, Annie, this morning for this podcast. And I know because I've already heard all the notifications on her smart device, but Amazon could be dropping off any number of things over the next hour or so. So you, if you hear the doorbell, go, I can stay put. You can get the door, basically. But um, you hear the bell going. We have, so a, we have a courier lottery situation, which is uh, rather wonderful. So let's see. So let's get dive straight into it so that we can uh, we can move on a pace. And let's start, as we often do, talking about what we've been photographing since we last got together. Uh, so, Will, I'll come to you first, um, because it sounds like you've been busy making presents as well as ordering them. Well, that's right. I mean, I have, I'm doing a few photographs, but mostly test things rather than anything special. That's partly because of the, the situation, as we all know, with the pandemic in the December, is ever-evolving. So it's kind of keeping away from people and the weather hasn't been great, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, this year, I thought for my family, and bizarrely enough, this is the first time I've ever done it, given that I'm a photographer. But for, for my family this year, I thought I'd present them with a print, each framed and everything else. So it took me a while because I, had, I worked out I had six prints to give. So picking an image relevant to each person was challenging and I probably have not got that right and I'll hear about the unboxing day I guess um, and then once I decided on the picture I had to print it and and mount it and that took a little longer than I thought I mean not just the process but you know getting things right because I'm quite fussy so I did a couple of copies of each um, and then just cutting the things up and, and getting them into a, a, a mat mount um, and I've got a cutter and I've got a trimmer and everything else but nevertheless it, it takes a bit of time it's something I'm not used to doing I think so I ended up cutting the mounts the wrong size or the wrong shape or, you know, all the sort of trials and tribulations of mounting. And, and, Indeed. And, and what was your selection criteria for the images? Did you choose something relevant to the individual or have you chosen something that you like and want to share? How, how did you work on that? In the end, it was a bit of both. I mean, my, my sister, for instance, loves poppies. So that was quite simple. I just I just found a nice poppy picture and made a print. That, that was easy. Yeah. I've got one nephew who lives in London, so I thought he might like a picture of, of London. I, I might be completely wrong. So he got that. Um, for my other sister, my older sister, that was a bit more difficult. So I just went for a, a nice picture of Venice. And I guess actually for the maybe subsequent years, if I get feedback this Boxing Day and they go, I like, um, they might say, well, I want to go to so-and-so or my favourite city is actually Paris, not Venice. Then guess what their present will be next year? <laughs> hey. <laughs> And obviously, I, I don't want to spoil my own surprise, but what have you done? What have you got for Kingsley? 
<laughs> that would be telling. Now he got something special the other night. Oh, oh did he? Right, okay. That's something else we shouldn't talk about. Oh, right, okay. Well, this must be referring to the uh, Christmas party, which we all enjoyed. And um, a photograph exists of the three of us together um, around a Christmas tree, of which I have absolutely no knowledge of it being taken. So it was uh, it was quite a good party, as I recall. So anyway, moving on rather swiftly, Kingsley. Have you also been printing presents or have you been uh, doing something else photographically? I'm I'm struggling to think what Will's referring to in terms of me, me being given something the other night. It sounds, sounds slightly kind of awkward. It was a beer I gave you, Kingsley. The, nice, but, you know, the nightcap we had. It was a nice pint oh, of beer. Oh, right. Yes. No. Well, then, um, then to quote Stacey from Gavin and Stacey, that's not my real present, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I've been for a few weeks. I've been doing a, uh, a local portrait project, so it, it's in association with a local diversity group. And uh, typically, of me, I guess I've I've chosen to pursue a portrait project during the worst spike of the COVID crisis. Mm. Um, but fortunately, I'm I'm still uh, still going, and um, so are all the people that I photographed. I hope. Are you photographing them all in the same way or are you approaching each subject differently according to, you know, how you find them? You mean like, you mean like badly? Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm taking it as red that it's badly <laughs> and with a 300 mil lens. Um, but I'm just yeah. wondering, you know, whether your stylistic approach is is got to be coherent as one style or, or whether you've you've got more free reign than that. Well, yeah, de- definitely. I, I think because they are basically they are destined to end up in like an exhibition in the local arts centre, which has been sort of booked for August next year. So you know, roll up, roll up. Um, I haven't used I actually haven't used the 300 mil yet. I'll have to give that a try. Um, <laughs> the longest I've got to was yesterday. I went to shoot some um, pictures of a local harpist and we did it in in, in the grounds of the local stately home. And I, I did end up using 70 to 200 for that because I wanted to get a bit kind of further off and compress the background a little bit um but yeah like in terms of style I did think about that quite early on because it is going to be an exhibition and therefore obviously you know these things are going to be seen all, all together at the same time so they have to have some sort of level of coherence so what I've tried to do is in terms of subject matter shoot what I would consider kind of environmental portraits so mm. you know pictures of these people doing the things they do even though like a harpist in the middle of a stately home ground is is not I suppose strictly an environmental portrait because <laughs> um you know it's, it's a little bit more kind of removed from reality that way but I've, I've also kind of I, I decided that I would try and shoot everything kind of fairly wide open as a consistent look um I've just de- I decided that I would try and use flash throughout I mean, you know, unless it completely wasn't needed. But to be honest, like I've, I've kind of found that usually it is needed, like even in situations. I mean, the light in the park was pretty nice, but a little bit of flash definitely, you know, helped because I like being a typical kind of, you know, technical journalist. I also took before and after pictures like, I, you know, I, I started off and did like a, a shot without the flash and and, you know, and then compared it to sort of the others and. Like it's just one of those. It just it just gives you the controllability, doesn't it? You know. Mm, mm. And given that your um, your normal specialism is to photograph portraits of slightly more furry subjects <laughs> than um, than people, how are you finding the step between four legged and two legged subjects? Is it is it is it the same? Is it different? I mean, how how are you finding it? Well, it, I mean, for for me, it is a little bit different, I guess, because like, and I quite often end up talking to the people that I'm shooting about that um you know that I'm not the greatest I don't think I'm the greatest communicator with subjects that I'm shooting but like you know but you can almost break the ice by saying that and and generally I think you just most of the time particularly with styles of portrait like that you just end up talking about what that person does and Mm. you know that ends up bringing out their character a little bit more but I'm, I'm sort of also kind of experimenting with kind of things like because you don't obviously just want it to be like a grip and grin you want people looking a little bit thoughtful maybe and so like I'm experimenting with stuff like trying to shoot them when I'm talking to them so like when they you know hopefully they're looking thoughtful <laughs> and pained expression on that. <laughs> exactly yeah they're just sort of looking at their watch a lot of them looking at their phone <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's 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 going all right so far. And and I think the, the one the main thing I'd actually take from it is that um, it's got me out doing something different. So you haven't, for example, taken a bag of treats 
with the <laughs> to toss towards them at various angles as they're being no there, and there's no there's no like holding a tennis ball slightly above the camera although maybe i should try that yeah <laughs> excellent well in a in a kind of similar vein i've um i've had a fairly barren uh, few weeks in terms of photography but i am attending my granddaughter's second birthday party um hopefully tomorrow um, and I've been asked to go as sort of official photographer, as well as obviously grandparent, probably but official photographer more than grandparent. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sort of deciding wh- what kit I should take. And I'm, I can't decide whether just to go with my simple X100S and just photograph it all with that or whether I should actually go with an interchangeable lens. I'll take a flash along with me as well. Um, but it's kind of I, I suppose it's that sort of dilemma of. Um, being known in your family as being the photographer, um, which then means that you are invited along to stuff in that capacity rather than just to go along and have a bit of a knees up and eat lots of cake and have a few drinks. Just, I mean, if you don't want to get invited back, you know exactly what you need to do. <laughs> well, what's that? Well, I don't know, leave the lens cap on, take everything out of focus. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. <laughs> I mean, the pictures will be terrible. That goes without saying. So, <laughs> hey, there we go. I mean, does that do, do, do you have a plan? Like, are you going to do anything, you know, outside of the norm? Are you going to make it quite formal? Are you going to bring people together to do that kind of thing? Or are you going to sort of wander around and try and like repertage it? Um, well, bearing in mind, it, it's just at their house. Um, and it's, a, you know, I mean, it's an it's a nice house, but it's not particularly enormous. It, it's like it's going to be quite tricky to do anything sort of formal. Uh, without it looking very sort of Victorian, I think, you know, yeah. sort of sitting on a coat, uh, couch or something like that. But I'm thinking, Roger, isn't this a chance to get out your, your XE4? I mean, take the interchangeable lens camera, maybe if you've got a fast, mm. wide, you know, lens, shoot wide open, there's some nice candids of people's interaction with some nice daylight coming through. Well, assuming there is any by the time you get there, some nice daylight coming through the windows. I mean, I, I think it's a great opportunity to get some nice nice pictures without yeah. being formal about it yeah i can i can lay my hands on a 56 mil f 1.2 relatively easily which um you know I, i'd be able to take that along maybe and get some stuff with that i think uh, i think i'm i'm kind of erring i guess you know maybe more towards the interchangeable lens thing but then again i do like the simplicity and just the the you know the, the hassle freeness of the of the x100s so um yeah go on kingsley but i mean it, it is an intro like it's shooting that kind of stuff in in someone's house is like quite a it's almost like a photography obstacle course that you have to sort of, you know, sort of mentally and and also physically kind of get through. And also having been invited in that context, you feel a certain amount of pressure. So you're going to meet you're going to be going in there and thinking your brain's going to start problem solving the minute you go in there, isn't it? You're going to be thinking about like, where's where's some good light? How, you know, do, do I shoot kind of against the light? Do I try and kind of unclutter these kind of rooms somehow? Not that I'm suggesting your your family have got cluttered rooms. Um <laughs> But, you know, it is like that, you know, you're not in a you're not in a stately home. There's there's not going to be, you know, immediately clear ways of shooting stuff, are there? I think no, I think not. And I think probably the easiest solution is just to turn up and go, oh, do you know what? I've forgotten my camera. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um. Anyway. OK, good. Well, uh, we'll uh, I shall report back uh, in the new year when we when we record another podcast then. Um, but let's move on. And will I think it's probably a perfect time to uh, give us a quick. A plug for the next issue and of course the uh, last knockings for the pn 2021 awards of course yeah indeed rog i mean um, you mentioned the awards so let's start with them first i mean they actually close on january the 5th 2022 it's something we've been promoting for the last few pods and then the last couple of issues so if listeners and readers have not voted yet on our in our awards then please get along to the photographynews.co.uk website Follow the link and, and please register your vote. We'd love to hear what you think about the kit available and the services that you've experienced over the past year. But in the issue itself, Rog, I mean, issue 95, which we're working on now and we're closing soon after Christmas. I mean, it's um, we've got a couple of tests in there, our usual first array tests. We've got a, a camera test, which is on the Fujifilm X-T32. And that's kind of an evolution of an existing model, um, basically with some, with some beefed up AF modes on it, primarily for the still photographer. And that came across really well. In the first test, we've got, we got some interesting stuff as well. We've got um, some pre-production samples from a company called Rotolite, and uh, they, they've got a couple of new lights called the Neo3 and the AOS2, and they were funded by Kickstarter. Um, and they, they're interesting because they're continuous lights, but they both can be used as, as flash as well, um, which is difficult to get your head around, but they work really quite well. 
And we've also got a new feature in the magazine called Used Corner, where we're going to be looking at the used, the pre-loved, the pre-owned, second-hand market, whatever you want to call it, and picking up some classic cameras and going, look, there's some bargains to be had. I mean, as we know at the moment with the uh, microchip shortage, some new cameras have actually been delayed. So we're taking the opportunity to look back rather than look forward on that one. So that's in our next issue, 95, which is out from uh, uh, early January. So, so new cameras that have been delayed, Will, is there, yeah. is there, I mean, I, I'm aware of it, but is it, it's a, it's a problem right across the industry, is it? As I gather, I mean, um, I think the most notable one I've heard was the Canon EOS R3, which has been announced, well, been announced a few months now, um, and all this have been delayed by, by six, up to six months. Wow. Um, so I don't know if that's kind of managing expectations or whether that's the actual fact, but I guess with, sorry, excuse me, just dropped something. Um, the cameras like the uh, the Z9 also recently been announced, and I think they they do for sale. I think this week. Hmm. So I don't know if I don't know if anybody's actually received their order, but um, I know if you know there's going to be a backlog of some of these products because they're really very highly sought after, despite their very high price tags. Indeed. So yeah, it is a real thing. Right. Okay. So uh, so the, the 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 option of buying used is is uh, stronger than ever. Then I guess. Yeah, and also the uh, I think I think there's kind of um. It's interesting looking back as well, some of the cameras. I mean, I've been, uh, did a bit of research on this. I've picked two or three models, I thought, for the next two or three months that I'll be covering. Um, and they're still darn good. I mean, the, the one I've featured in this coming issue is the Nikon D810. You know, 36 megapixels. It, it's been out, what, four or five years. Um, but it's still, you know, damn fine camera. It works yeah, really yeah. well. It's fully featured. The autofocus is pretty good. I mean, it's not fashionable in the sense it is an SLR camera because we all think everybody's, everybody's going mirrorless. But equally, some people like the optical viewfinder still, you know, and the SLR and the responsiveness and the interaction you get with the mirror going up. So I, I think it is another chance to, to look back as well as look forward in photography news. Good stuff. And as you say, Will, the best place to go and read the magazine, if you can't get it in store, is on our website, which is photographynews.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And the handle for all three of those is at photo news pn and um we mentioned it on the last podcast and i'll mention it again now um we are running an advent calendar on our instagram feed of um past episodes of the podcast and it just sort of highlights some of the pe- some of the episodes that we've done that finishes on christmas eve um and anybody who likes one of our um posts and uh, re re grams it or retweets it however you want to say it um, they will be entered into a draw to win a year's subscription to PN. So, you know, don't go along, give us a like and listen to some old retrospective PN podcasts. This photography news podcast is sponsored by MPB. Use their free online valuation tool to instantly find out exactly how much your gear is worth. Get super fast payments straight into your bank account and if you change your mind at any point, up until you get paid, they'll ship it back for free. So, moving forward, given that it's coming to the end of the year, and where are we? The 17th of December is our date of recording. We thought that we would have a little equipment-based look back as to what we've seen over the last year. Uh, as you've already said there, Will, there has been some products held up. Uh, but there's also been a lot of products to enjoy in 2021. So, Will, I'm going to come to you first. In terms of cameras, then, there's obviously been quite a few to choose from. We've had some major launches from Sony, from Canon, from Nikon, from Sigma, uh, Fujifilm, etc. Everybody's brought a camera out pretty much. Yeah. What are your particular highlights out of all those, would you say? Uh, Rog, that's quite a challenging question. Uh, I think we've seen some uh, very notable products. You, you mentioned some of those. I mean, I enjoy using the, the Sigma FPL. I recently had the Fujifilm GFX 50S Mark II in my hands, and that was, that was rather wonderful. So those are cameras that have been through the magazine and through the test process. Um, some cameras haven't, and I mentioned the, the Nikon Z9 a little while ago. I haven't seen that yet, but that looks that looks incredible. And you could argue that the Canon EOS R3 uh, looks pretty impressive too, although it's kind of got a lower pixel count. And Sony have done some amazing things. I mean, the A1, which came out, well, it was announced earlier in 2021, and the, the Sony A7 IV, um, which is receiving good reviews. I mean, there's a whole bunch of new kit, Rog, which has been very, very impressive. 
And I, I know some of these products are, are, are top end in price, particularly the, the pro cameras. And I suppose if I had to pick a highlight, one which maybe I'd like to explore more, bizarrely enough, would be the Sigma FPL, which yeah. is a it's a it's the smallest full frame camera around. It's um, 61 megapixels, so it satisfies satisfies my my need for for megapixels. But I like the idea of just stuffing a um, if they've got such a thing a pancake lens on it. I'm sure I can find one and walk around with it as my as my compact as my street photography camera. I haven't had that opportunity, and that that sells body only um, for two thousand pounds, which sounds to me really good value. Well, I mean, I, I've not had experience of the, of the FPL, but I was gonna I was gonna ask you kind of when it when it comes to stuff that gets you excited uh, in terms of a new product launch, what what is a what is the stuff that kind of makes you sit up and take notice the most, Will, when it comes to new products? Well, well, for me, I, I suppose it's something which I can think that would do my own photography some good, mm. um, and some of these obviously do. You know, when you get a new lens mentioned, you think, oh, maybe I could do that with this, that, or the other. Um, but strangely enough, one of the most exciting things for me this year has been software, um, and the the software I've picked out is um, something called DxO Pure Raw. Mm. Um, if people haven't seen it, go onto the website. And you can try a free download. I think there's normally a 30 day trial version available. It costs 115 quid, but the beauty of them. Um, Pure RAW is that it actually basically tarts up your RAW files. So if you've got, and, and I have, I've got RAW files dating back to 2002, so it's quite a long time. But you can go back to your very old RAW files and reprocess them through Pure RAW. And the noise reduction it's got on there, it's, it's, it uses something called uh, Deep Prime uh, to get rid of the, the noise. And it's kind of got this uh, advanced DMSAing um, algorithm. But it's done some amazing things to some of the pictures I've got from old where, where I shot on high ISO because I didn't have a choice. They're on RAW and they're from lower resolution cameras. And I've been using this particular software and going back in time going, actually, I remember that picture from so-and-so. For instance, I, I went to Antarctica in 2003 and shot on a, on a six megapixel Canon and sometimes had to use high ISOs. And I put those walls through pure RAW and it's amazing. To answer your question, what excited me was the fact I thought it could do my own photography some good, basically revitalising my archive. So how does that work? So that um, it's like a sort of a pre-amplifier, is it, before you then stick it back into your um, your your normal raw processing software? Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, um, basically, it, it works with most files. It, it doesn't work with Fujifilm RAWs at the moment, although DXO, oddly enough, have got an option for for that in, in beta at the moment. Mm. But um, yeah, basically, you 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 don't you've copy the file and download it onto the interface of pure raw and you just click process you can't control anything and then it delivers the dng file and you basically have that imported back into your normal workflow software be it lightroom or or affinity wherever you, you use um, and then you then can edit it from there but basically it just you know if there's nice detail that will get sharpened and crispened up the noise level if there is any additional noise level and artifacts that's all been kind of repaired I mean, it, oh, to be honest, it doesn't work miracles as such, but it does a damn fine job. So it and doesn't it doesn't re-export it in its native format then. So if you put a Nikon, um, you know, a Nikon RAW, what's it, an, an NEF file into it, you, yeah. you can only get a DNG out of it, right? That's right. It's DNG or, or a JPEG. Um, and of course, it, you have to edit again. I mean, they're, they're obviously, it doesn't involve a lot of work because all the parameters you had in Lightroom for that particular file, you know, you then have to reapply, but you have to reapply them differently because, well, right, because right. it's a different sort of image. Yeah. But, you know, I've made some images. I've, I mean, the aforementioned um, uh, Christmas present project for my family. And I mentioned those presents, by the way, knowing that none of my family will listen to this podcast before Christmas. <laughs> and it's, it's remarkable. You know, I've got some nice, you know, not huge prints, but like 2016 type size print. Um, they look really, very, very good. Kingsley, that sounds like something that'd be right up your street. I, I can totally see the benefit of that, and it sounds really interesting. I, although I, I feel, I'm feeling a little bit phobic about it, insofar as like, you know, those kind of denoise AI kind of things, like where you see before and after pictures, and like basically, like it's it's inventing detail through artificial intelligence. And so, like at that point, you start to think like, well, what is real in this image anymore? Do you not right. like? I, you know, I know it's a bit more of a philosophical question. And also, <laughs> I spoke from like from a from a simple sort of management point of view. Like I have enough trouble keeping up with the stuff that I shoot, you know, like now, rather than like thinking, oh, you go back to try and resurrect things. I mean, God, I, it would open up like a Pandora's box of possibility, wouldn't it? 
It's interesting, and you're absolutely right. It it has taken up a lot of time, and don't get me wrong. It's um, um, it has sucked up a lot of energy over recent weeks. Be reworking some pictures, but I think it's worth. I think it's worth it. I mean, and let's face it. I'm sure between us, we can muster a few decent pictures behind between us. But we don't. We won't have thousands each, will we? So, you know, if you went and picked your favourite ten and reworked them, I'm I'm sure it wouldn't take you that much time. So I'm not suggesting you rework every single picture in your archive, but you know, the ones that you, you really liked and you thought they were spoiled a bit by noise or the lack of detail, try Pure Raw. Give it a go. Try this 30-day you know, sample. So, Kingsley, co- coming back to you, um, obviously we st- I started off that part of the conversation with, with asking Will about his, his, uh, his sort of highlights from a camera perspective. What, what about you? What, what are your sort of camera highlights from, from this year? I know he's gone massively off piste there, hasn't he? He did go. But then, you know, so we've, we've, Always. we've pulled him back out of the trees. <laughs> <laughs> We've got him back on piece, and let's so let's 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 head down the slopes with your yeah. with your highlights. Let's mix these metaphors back onto a, a <laughs> proper train track. Um, I well, I mean, the the standout announcement for me was the Z9, and that's because of kind of partisan reasons, and because I you know I want Nikon to do well, and um, kind of you know, and, and I would like to very much like to see myself using that camera, um, and it certainly kind of appeared to do a lot of amazing things. I don't know, I don't actually know anyone who's got to properly test one yet i've seen a lot of videos online a lot of informative stuff and i see that it's already kind of winning camera of the year type things from people that have used it i mean the impression i get is that they're probably using pre-production models so you know i guess on one hand you could say well are those tests valid on the other hand you could say well you know if a pre-production camera is winning out of the top of these polls then then presumably by the time it comes to market and maybe even a couple of firmware updates down the line it's going to be even better so certainly that was a kind of a you know a standout for me but like will said you know it's it's been a year of just kind of staggering specification hasn't it um mm. but like um, like amongst all that and again with my sort of nikon fan hat on like i, I was really pleased to see the nikon zfc the APS-C Z mirrorless camera you know with its kind of retro kind of design and like you know i mean and and ha- having very briefly handled that like, i thought it i thought it worked really well it, it was a nice camera to use it was small it was light the, the only thing lacking from that right now is that it, it's questionable how many lenses nikon will bring out in its kind of se so there's one lens that came out with it the 28 mil f28 se which is kind of styled to look a bit like you know the, the the rest of the kind of the, the retro vintage look to the camera there's a 28 mil f28 regular version and there's this se there's mm. so far there's as far as i know there's no plan and certainly no visibility of a 40 mil f2 se which is exactly what i'd want to see mm. from the camera and like so and, and like i appreciate that it's a it's a bit of a an ask for you know a company to kind of produce two versions of every lens they do but like to support that camera and the reasons people are buying it which are you know, uh, no, in no small part aesthetic, I think. I, I I genuinely like to see more lenses. But I mean, I suppose on top of that, you can look to third party manufacturers who'll start bringing out retro styled lenses. There are so you've done it. You've, I've noticed there that what you've done is a bit of a Waldorf and Stadler moment from um, <laughs> from the Muppet Show, where you started off by saying, I really like the fact that they kind of brought this out. And then you've ended up saying, I really don't like the fact that they haven't brought lenses out for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like to back up the, to back up the reasons for bringing out more of these kind of retro styled lenses um, is that, I, I mean, certainly some reports I saw were that that camera was was doing very, very well in certainly in Japan. Mm. where you know a lot of people have taken to it in the same way that a lot of people took to the, the way that Fujifilm sort of reinvented mm. kind of their their product line and, and kind of you know brought out those kind of slightly vintage style you know getting people back to the kind of the, the more tactile kind of way of using cameras so and and you know I suppose building building on top of that the idea that it's a ZFC and presumably the, the C means compact you know I would love to see a full frame version of that but again, are you going to want to buy like a retro themed camera and then stick a load of kind of modern lenses? I mean, arguably, it doesn't change what you do, but maybe it changes the reasons for kind of investing in that that kind of stuff. Indeed. Will, thoughts on the ZFC? Well, it, it is an interesting camera. I mean, um, and I do like the retro idea. Uh, the disadvantage for me was and the negative for me was the fact it was not full frame. Um, and I did buy, I mean, going back a couple of years when Nikon came out with the DF which was a similar sort of thing, an SLR retro uh, Nikon. Um, I ended up did I ended up buying the DF because I liked its retro looks. 
if the ZXFC was full frame and it wouldn't have C obviously after it, um, I probably would look at investing too. And um, I take Kingsley's point about lenses, um, and, and maybe third party people would will bring them out, but they'll only you know, third party people only bring out lenses when they can earn a few quid. Yeah. And I don't know how the ZFC is selling in that context. Well, you know, is it selling in big enough numbers for third party brands to get involved? I, I don't know. Interesting stuff. So Kingsley, jumping back to you. So after 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 Will extolled the benefits of the DXO software, in terms of outside the sphere of cameras, what's what's kind of stood out for you this year in terms of innovation? Um, well, a, a couple of things really. I mean, so so I was going to mention um, the Elencrom One flash system. There are some things that it does that are innovative, but it's more of a kind of, the, I think, the way it's, it's kind of managed to change the way that I see myself kind of going and using Flash. Because so, so give an example, going back to what I said at the start about this portrait um, project. So I, I was I managed to stick both of the Flash heads that I took with me in the top of my um, I've got like a low pro powder rucksack, which has kind of got like a camera section and a, and a top section. And I could stick the two flash heads in the top of that camera stuff in the bottom, carried a pair of lighting stands and, and you're sort of kind of good to go. I mean, so like, you know, that 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 was definitely something that's been like a highlight for me this year. As, as well as that, um, recently we've seen tripod manufacturers bringing to market what they're calling waterproof tripods. Mm. Now, no one has ever had a tripod dissolve as far as I know. But like the benefit of these is that they basically make using tripods in, in harsh conditions easier. Um, so, you know, you can put it into salt water, you can stick it into snow, into mud and stuff. And there, there won't be any sort of ingress into the into the joints, which is a particular moment. As anyone who's ever kind of brought a tripod back from the beach and, you know, where it's been inundated knows what you genuinely should do if you want to unless you want to lose the usability of that tripod is immediately take it to bits, clean everything, get the salt, get the sand off it and stuff. And mm. the, these tripods, so that there's a there's a Benro Hydra 2, I think it's called, and a, and a Leo Photo Poseidon. Um, they, they they sort of genuinely, you know, present a what do you call it? A sort of like a, 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 a better workflow, I suppose. And I, I'm sure they'll soon be joined by, you know, a Manfrotto Kraken and a Vanguard Octopus. <laughs> Presumably with the associated with the re- requisite number of legs as well. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. No, there's some good stuff there. I mean, yeah, the, the idea of w- waterproof tripods, yeah, is is definitely quite an interesting idea. Um, and although I've not used either of those ones, they they uh, they, they definitely appeal. But not only because you know it just saves a load of time when you come back, doesn't it? You don't have to start uh, dismantling your tripod to uh, to get it clean. Will, coming back to you, let's before we before we move on from this sort of highlights of the year, let's talk a little bit about lenses. I know that you've uh, you've tested a lot over the year in the mag, um, and there are some interesting ones on the horizon. I think I noticed yesterday or maybe the day before Nikon have announced that they're putting together an 800 mil. But what about stuff that you've tested or you've used that, that has really kind of stood out for you? Well, this year has been a very good year for lenses, to be fair. We've had some uh, quite incredible optics. I mean, there's some which, of course, have been... Um, kind of uh, system replacements for existing kits. So, for instance, you know, Nikon brought out some macro lenses this year, the 105-28 for the Z system, and I've got the 105-28 for the um, for the SLR system. So uh, I tried that and I thought that's really nice. It was much lighter, the quality was much better. You know, Canon also brought out a 100 mm macro lens to replace the one that was available in the EF system. So there's been a lot of that where lenses have come along to replace or to to offer in their new system, what they already offer in their old system, if that kind of makes sense. Um, for, but for me, though, a couple of highlights were kind of out of the blue in a way when I when I'm thinking back to the launch. And there were two lenses from Canon. And I mean, you mentioned that uh, Nikon 800mm lens, but that is a conventional lens in the fact it's got an adjustable aperture. But the two lenses I'm talking about are the Canon 600 and 800mm f11. And they were fixed aperture. Um, you know, and we have seen fixed aperture lenses before, you know, particularly mirror lenses, but these were fixed aperture zoom lenses that, that collapsed down. So when you traveled, it, it was much more compact. Mm. And when they came out, I thought, to be honest, I thought it's a bit of a joke to start with. And they were good value about, you know, a thousand pounds thereabouts. I think that 600 is a, a little less than that now. Um, but when I tried them, amazing. <laughs> I mean, because of the, um, the high ISO performance of their, IRF cameras is so good. And I, I try these on the R6 
a while ago. And I was shooting at 3200 ISO and F11 in the in the back garden here. And there's a, a fox out here. And it was just sitting in the grass in dull light, F11. And a few years ago, I wouldn't have thought that possible. But mm. I thought they were quite remarkable lenses. I know mm. I know they're not for everybody. They're, they're very specialist. And there's still, you know, still a decent amount of money. But I thought in terms of pure innovation, I thought Canon pulled that particular rabbit out of hat. And I was quite excited by that. Well, and Kingsley, I was going to I was going to come to you. Um, so innovative lenses. Have you have you used many? Are they is it going to be Nikon again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all the Nikon. Um, I know the, the, actually the one that um, the one that kind of stood out for me when 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 I was kind of thinking about it was was Tamron brought out a, a 35 to 150 f2 to 28 uh you know with a with a with a bunch of numbers and letters after that and the the the, the interesting thing about that for me was just that it, it it's kind of it's just it's it's unusual you know it, it's kind of it's well specced it performs really well I, I got to use it briefly but it, it's genuinely doing something unusual and the last lens I remember having the same sort of outlook was um I'm, I'm gonna get this wrong but there was like a will, will help me here there was a sigma zoom which was like an f18 zoom it was an aps-c lens this is this camera lens is a full frame lens but there was a there was a sigma zoom which was like a 1.8 zoom but like you know again it's doing something different it's, it's kind of you know it's, it's pushing things kind of forward giving people kind of different opportunities and, and like this f2 to 2.8 is you know obviously you're losing a bit of light but but like basically you've still got a 152.8 lens it's you know it's a it's a it's a very usable kind of um telephoto thing, uh, optic for like you know portraits bit of sport maybe probably not quite long enough for wildlife i guess unless you know you're shooting an elephant um but and and it's it's like it's it's not heavy i mean it's like it's just over a kilogram compared to like you know i guess you'd expect a pro 7200 f2.8 to be mm. what one point three 1.4 kilograms so like you know it's it's sort of you know genuinely sort of eyebrow raising and like and all you can hope for stuff like that is is that it does well that and and not because you know not 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 to make people money or whatever but 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 just to like well actually no yes to make people money so they carry on innovating and they carry on kind of you know doing interesting things but presumably in terms of like that focal range that and the and the maximum aperture setting that is primarily a portrait lens right so the 35 mil end is for groups and you know your environmental harpist in the middle of state (laughs) home um and then you know all the way through to a 150 which is nice for a nice sort of tight head and shoulder shot so that's that's got to be the target wedding photographers yeah that's a pretty a pretty uh solid way of looking at it yeah i mean but sure you you could you know you could use it for landscapes as well couldn't you i mean a lot of kind of i know people kind of often think about landscapes as being something where you'd go straight to a wide angle but like you know, you could shoot a decent landscape at 35. You can get some details in the landscape at, you know, 150, that kind of thing. Or, or, or maybe you twin that lens with a 14 to 24 fast lens, and suddenly you've got, you know, a lot of kind of light gathering capability across a very, you know, an even wider kind of um, focal range. And do you know um, how many fitments that lens is available in? I mean, Nikon, obviously. <laughs> I know. I, I I think it's only Sony. I think it's only a Sony. Oh, it's uh, only Sony. I think it's only a Sony E-mount, actually. That's right. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I think it will be interesting, Rog, because that's a good point you make, because Cameron have focused a, a lot on Sony E-mount lenses mm. over the past 18 months. And that particular lens, I, I'd love to see it in a Canon and a Nikon and you know, other fittings. I think um, I think we'll all benefit from it. So is that also a, potentially a video-driven decision then? Because obviously a lot of people are using Sony to, to shoot video with. So I'm wondering if they're seeing that as the focal range that is also very usable as a video lens potentially i, th- I think they'll primarily be sony doing so well uh, because you know in terms of camera numbers I, I think they're number two to canon in overall market so you know um, nikon are now number three so i think in terms of it's, it's size of market as much as anything rog where you know for the sony market um market it's, it's quite small because it hasn't been around that long right so you know why bring out nikon and canon lenses where the market is not saturated as such but certainly well stocked but for the Sony E-mount, maybe because Sony haven't got all those lenses in their system, that Tamron see an opportunity. Absolutely. Well, look, there's, there's some really good stuff there, chaps. Um, some some really nice uh, innovations there. Some some good some good points made. Um, obviously, we'd love to hear if um, if as listeners you've got any particular highlights, any products that you've uh, really seen and loved or bought and uh, and and are enjoying using. 
uh, do get in touch with us. The best way to do that is on our email address, which is podcast at photographynews.co.uk. Moving forward, uh, we have, as always, some listener questions. Um, the first one is because this is an MPB sponsored episode and thank you very much to them for continuing to support us throughout this year. Um, the first one is from a chap called James, uh, who's in Dulwich, and he said, I want to try my hand at video, uh, but my current Nikon DSLR only shoots in full HD and I'd like to record in 4K. Can you recommend suitable models under a thousand pounds, mirrorless or DSLR? and tell me how much you'd offer me for my old D7000, which is in excellent condition. So rather than us answer this, we've put this to Ian at MPB, and here's what he had to say. Well, thanks for your question, James. And yes, we can absolutely uh, do all those things, uh, starting with um, giving you a price for your Nikon D7000. So as you say, it's an excellent condition, and for an excellent condition and D7000, we can actually offer you £140. So that 140 can either be, be given to you in cash, uh, should you wish, or we can actually just put that towards your new purchase from us as well. So moving on to your potential new purchase, um, we do actually have a couple of recommendations in both of those kind of camps for DSLR and mirrorless. So we'll start with, with DSLR. So obviously your Nikon D7000 is a crop sensor camera. So I imagine you do have uh, some Nikon uh, Nikon mounts or um, kind of third-party Nikon lenses um, that will fit uh, that body and also kind of make use of the of the crop sensor. So with that in mind, uh, we can actually recommend uh, a Nikon D7500. It's a great camera, uh, probably very similar in vibe to the original D7000, but obviously it's a few years younger. Um, so it's kind of making use of that 4K um, resolution for video. Um, it kind of, it's a great camera. I mean, it's basically like an updated D7200. It's, it's a pretty phenomenal camera um, and great adept at both video and stills. So it has a 20.9 megapixel resolution sensor, which obviously is a crop, as, as I said before. Um, and it's got a maximum ISO of about 1.6 million, which, which obviously is a huge amount. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend pushing the sensor up to those limits, but it does give you an idea as to kind of what that sensor is capable of doing. And it's probably quite usable at very, very high um, ISO. But uh, yes, it will shoot 4K video um, at up to 30 frames a second. And obviously that 4K will be from that crop sensor. So APS-C, which is about a one and a half times conversion. Um, I would say so, you know, if you put a 35mm lens on there, it will be roughly equivalent to about 50mm lens um, on this uh, on this camera. So yeah, so this is a great option. And a D7500 with us, uh, you can buy one in excellent condition, so the same condition as your present camera, for £769, uh, which is great, obviously, as it comes in kind of well under budget, should you wish to add any lenses um, to, uh, to the setup. And second, we can actually recommend a Nikon uh, Z6, which is uh, Nikon's uh, mirrorless original, one of the original uh, mirrorless bodies that came out uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, this one being the kind of more video orientated one and not as high resolution for stills as the Nikon Z7. So the Z6 is a fantastic camera. It's got great video specs. Um, it is a full frame sensor and the video will make use of the uh, entire sensor as well. So in terms of your existing uh, F-mount lenses, these can go under potentially depending on which lenses you have. Obviously, if you have uh, DX lenses for your D7000, then obviously it will crop the sensor, which is also potentially an option, but if you do want to make use of the uh, full frame sensor, then obviously you will need to have um, some full frame lenses to go along with it. But this is a fantastic camera, both for stills and video. It's, it's got incredible usability. Um, it's considerably lighter and the ISO capabilities are, are pretty, pretty amazing as well. Um, the Z6 uh, will actually shoot, uh, similar to the D7500, will shoot 4K up to 30 frames a second and potentially can give you a very good, um, very good color space and bit rate 
um, should you actually uh, choose to output over an HDMI. So that will give you 10-bit 422, which is a pretty, pretty juicy color space, which will allow for quite a lot of uh, color correction in post as well. But other than that, if you do choose to shoot internally, it will do it up to 100 megabits a second, and that will be kind of 8-bit internal. So um, again, kind of very good specs, um, depending on what it is that you choose to do. And a Z6 uh, in excellent condition can be had for £959. Well, hopefully that helps you out, James. Um, so chaps, a couple of questions for us. Um, the first one comes from a chap called Jake, who sent this in on email, and he says... I'm unclear about in-camera noise reduction. Well, aren't we all, Jake? With the lower light levels of winter, I'm using ISO 1600 and higher to get decent shutter speeds on my Fujifilm X-T2. Do you guys advise using high ISO noise reduction for better image quality? And do you suggest using in-camera noise reduction for night exposures? I shoot both JPEGs and RAW, and I'm keen to get the best image quality. Will, there's quite a lot to, oh, <laughs> gosh. A lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, thanks, Jay. <laughs> what, what do you reckon? In-camera noise reduction, use that, or, or high, SO, high ISO noise reduction? What, what, what do you reckon? Well, I, I think the first thing to, to think about is what you're using your images, sorry, what files are you using from your camera in terms of further process? So if you're using straight out of camera JPEGs, then yes, I would suggest using whatever noise reduction suits you, um, subject to doing a little test, because normally these um, high ISO features, uh, NR features, have levels of effectiveness. So if you set a high level of um, high ISO noise reduction, what it can do is actually impact on image quality, because it smooth things out, makes things slightly, slightly false. Mm. So I think one thing Jake needs to do is decide, is he using his JPEGs or his, or his RAWs? And if he's using JPEGs, then just do a quick test and go, what level is he happy with before the camera over overcooks things? Right. And that's a kind of polite way of putting it, because, you know, you know, some cameras can overcook things and make things look look very, very false. So I think on the Fujifilm, there's, as I recall, there's levels from minus four to zero to plus four. And I right. found normally for me, when I shoot with Fujifilm, I normally do plus one if I'm using JPEGs. But that's a, that's a very much a personal thing. Okay. No, 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 with RAWs, that, that's more, much more contentious because as I understand it, RAWs often don't go through the um, noise reduction in-camera circuitry. Right. But then I hear from some brands that their RAWs do go through this in-camera noise reduction circuitry. So right. that, that's a bit more vague, but certainly I, I would use it if I was shooting ISO using JPEGs out of camera, subject to, like I said, to quality and also the fact that if you're using... Uh, long, long exposures, and you've got yeah. noise reduction on. What the camera does do is shoot a dark frame, which mm. basically doubles the length. On most cameras, at least, it doubles the length of the exposure. So if you're doing a night scene and giving it one minute, and you've got you know in-camera noise reduction set, the camera after the exposure is finished, the camera then takes another minute to do a dark frame, during which time the camera is inoperable. So you have to be a little wary with this camera in-camera noise reduction thing because it can slow you up. And yeah, and presumably if you're doing something, I mean, he doesn't, uh, Jake doesn't specifically say what he's photographing at night, but if he's photographing, for example, star trails, then you've got to turn your noise reduction off, right? Because otherwise you'd have like yeah. a stuttered star trail throughout what, as, it, as it records the dark frame in between the longer frame. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the only, the only reason I would say if you use noise reduction for doing a super long exposure, if it's your last one of the night, because you can pick your camera up and basically take it to the, you know, pack it away with it still running, doing its noise reduction. But generally, Roger, personally, I would turn off all noise reduction, higher so, higher so, and long exposure noise reduction. And I would do everything in post. But that's, right. that's, that's me. I don't know what Kingsley thinks. Kingsley, no, I was going to, I was going to come to Kingsley. <laughs> noise reduction, Kingsley. Yes or no? Well, I think I think Will's given a very complete response to that. Um, so you don't know then. <laughs> well, every, every time I thought of like, oh well, I can jump in on that. He said something, something else. So like, I no, I, I'd completely agree with what Will said. I mean, I, I don't I don't tend to use um, any noise reduction in camera. Um, I think that the I know that like specialist um, post production editing uh, packages exist for. Um, noise reduction I just use the one in camera or seems to do a reasonable job um, and in in terms of the night exposures long exposure 
noise reduction, which is the sort of the, the technical term for that one, something that people something you can benefit from i think will alluded to it is is basically do your own like switch switch the long exposure noise reduction off but then at the end of your shoot put the lens cap on and take a picture of using the exact same settings and don't like don't move the camera into a different space either because that can affect um the the kind of the noise print of the sensor so like it has to be in the same situation and then and then what you end up doing is is using that dark frame in software to subtract the kind of the, the kind of hot pixels and stuff that you get so like it does a lot of stuff i suppose to make your life easier in some ways but ultimately if you're if you're you know into the hobby and you don't mind doing a bit of extra editing there are probably smarter ways of doing it in post okay good stuff well hopefully that's helped you out jake um kingsley i'm going to come straight back to you on this next question which comes from uh, dennis and he's emailed in and said uh, either, unless, of course, it's Denise, in which case um, she's emailed in. Um, some cameras have hundreds of AF points, especially mirrorless models, and all these fancy features like face and eye detect. But I see many experts who just use small zone or a single point autofocus. Um, so two questions. Um, are these advanced systems, um, AF systems, no good? Um, and if they are good, why do experienced photographers only use a few AF points? So Kingsley, as a experienced photographer, <laughs> I'm assuming that you use the full gamut of um, for, of AF points, or are you a single AF point man? No, I, I think. Well, I mean, I suppose the the point being that, like, even if you use a single AF point, you can push it around the frame to lots of different positions, can't you? Yes. So, like, I mean, I don't. I I'd be interested to you know uh, to find out sort of what those what those experienced or pro photographers are shooting because obviously the way that you use AF depends on the subject. A single point gives you greater accuracy. It's, it's a sort of like a, it's a step between uh, taking full control of where the AF sits and giving the camera a little bit of, of, of a go, which, you know, and obviously the, with, with how good modern AF systems are, most people are pushing towards just letting it go on with it. So like an example of this is I, when I was doing one of these portraits the other day, I was holding the camera down near the ground to get a very low angle shot. Um, and I noticed that the eye detect wasn't picking up and because I was shooting at like f2 I thought well I don't want it to be just off like mm. the rest of the shoot had been absolutely fine and it was probably the way that the subject was facing and stuff um so what I did was I switched into a single point mode like with a very small af point and I got on the ground and I put it over the subject's eye myself so like that's when I'd switch I mm. guess um, I mean, the other the other way of looking at it is depending on the camera, you can you can actually pick how many AF points are selectable. Um, and that's sort of about speed of working mostly. So like typically on I know on the um, on the Fujifilm X-T3, you can switch between 117 and, and 425. Right. And like someone once asked me, why, why, we, why would you do that? And that's literally down to I mean, the camera, like if if, if you're using the camera's full automatic mode, the camera is still going to use all the AF points that it can. Mm. But like if you're selecting points and you want to move the point from one side of the um, frame to the other, obviously, the fewer the points, the faster you're going to be able to do it. I mean, I suppose broadly, like modern AF systems are kind of very complex, but also allow masses and masses of kind of user customization. And it's really yeah. it's all about kind of working out what you're shooting and what's best for you. Absolutely. And I, I was going to I was going to sort of add that myself. I thought that like the original the initial part of this question is, are these advanced AF systems no good? And of course, the answer to that is no, they're absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, generally speaking, autofocus is far, far better than it's ever been. And really what it's about, it's about knowing the points at which the system in your own camera is going to trip over uh, and when you need to help it out. Kingsley. Yeah. And, and like, so an example of that is that um, and I, I think I probably banged on about this last time. But what I've noticed on my Z7 II is if I'm shooting a dog running towards me and I put it into animal IAF, it, it will get some of them sharp, but but not as many as if I put it into the kind of the zone, uh, which is so zone is like a is like a single selectable AF point that you can push around the frame, but it's bigger than a than a small point. So like it might take up, I don't know, like an eighth of the frame or a tenth of the frame. But I know that if I can if I can put that over the exact point that 
I want to be sharp, then it then it will keep up. So like that is a situation where I would I would kind of leave the most automated settings and go for something a bit more manual that I knew. I mean, it's not manual. It's still an automated setting, but it's mm. more customizable, more user definable, I suppose, is, is the way that you sure. put it. Will, anything to add? Well, guys, I think you've, you've covered off. I mean, the main thing for, for Dennis to take away is the fact that I think he needs to or she needs to work out what their, his or her system's doing. Um, I, I think the um, I think the modern systems are amazingly good, and that's the thing about it. But it's it's, it's taking control of them, so don't rely on them, um, you know, without actually thinking too much about it. And that certainly goes with the wide zone AF modes, where if you're shooting a complicated scene, the mm. camera might pick on something which you're not expecting. So in that situation, you may go to a smaller zone or a single point, or use touch and drag, drag AF, or all these sort of things you've got now, and the, and the focus joysticks and things like this. So there are plenty of options to get around the, the thing, but the, you know, as Rog mentioned, you know, the air systems are so darn good, especially the eye detect. So I mean, for yeah, Dennis, yeah. it's just get get experience with which watch which works best for his or her type of photography. Absolutely, absolutely, grand. Okay, well, thank you for that, Will. Uh, hopefully, that's uh, that's helped answer that particular question. Um, so that is the last question we're going to answer this year. Uh, well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other questions, but <laughs> but not on this podcast. Um, so, um, as always, we should end this podcast as we do with all others and ask for a Will's word of wisdom, a 2021 sum up, Will. Yeah. Come on, make it a good oh. one. What is it? Well, there used to be these, there were these modes on these cameras, shutter speed dials or exposure mode dials, which were, you know, usually called C or U, and they were like custom modes or user modes. And I, I never used them. I thought, why have I got this? I just know what I want. I want to show you an aperture priority and I do this, that, and the other. But over the past year, I've discovered them in the fact that I found a use for them. So these custom and use modes, and actually referencing Dennis's question about AF points, that's a good one there. Because mm. I've found that this past year, I've been shooting a lot of macro. And I found that, um, you know, I'll, I'll shoot a load of macro, and then the following day, I might go out on the street or shoot some landscape. And then found that I had a lot of macro settings left over from the previous shoot that were getting in the way. And then I reset the camera for, for landscape or scenic or, or studio, whatever it might have been. So that's why I found a use for these um, custom modes is that now when I shoot macro, I just memorize it to a particular uh, C setting. And then I go, great, I've got that memorized with the macro stuff. And then when I go and do landscape, I set up for, for landscape and I'll memorize all those settings for, for, for that type of shooting. Then another custom user mode. Mm. So I've now got C1 for macro, I've got C2 for street and I've got C3 for studio. So it's quite, it, it saves a bit of time and it, it's taken me a while. I, mean, I hold my hands up here. You know, I kind of poo-poo them to start with, but um, I've gone into them now. Um, and I, I think um, readers and listeners should give it a go. Absolutely. Custom functions. Kingsley, are you a fan of the custom function or are you more of an aperture priority kind of guy? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for an early New Year's resolution here and um, and do what Will says, because I don't use the ones on my camera enough. And I, but basically, I go as far as... You know, I, I do a bit of button remapping for the stuff I use more often. I, you know, most cameras now have got what they would call like a quick menu or something um, where you can kind of add uh, features that you use a lot. So I customize that. Yeah, like the, the, the point about being able to switch, you know, between kind of uh, sort of modes that are set up for specific subjects is, is, is really good because, you know, particularly when you are taken by surprise by something, um, you know, it can be very easy to say, oh, God, I'm in the wrong AF mode. I'm, you know, I, I've got my, you know, my auto ISO set here instead of my manual ISO, you know, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the facilities there. Why not use it? Absolutely. And, a, and an early New Year's resolution from the man who I didn't think really does New Year's resolutions. No, I no, I don't really. I, I, I um, yes, I'll go back on that completely. I, I, I was a bit, actually, I was a bit disappointed that Will's um, word of wisdom wasn't more kind of festive. I thought it, it would be something about Christmas pudding or um, well, the Yule log. But by humbug to that thing is all I can say. <laughs> okay, uh, not not a festive finish, but a a good solid word of wisdom to uh, to round out this final podcast of 2021. So that just leaves me to say. Um, thank you to everybody who has listened to the podcast over this last year. Um, we hope that we've been able to bring uh, some insight, some 
some answers to questions and and maybe even um made you smile now and again um or maybe wince is perhaps more the uh more the suitable word there um so thank you to thank you for listening we will be back obviously next year thank you to mpb uh who have sponsored us throughout the year hopefully they will continue next year as well and that just leaves me to say thank you to the two gentlemen who um wouldn't without them it wouldn't make this uh, possible of course so thank you first of all contributing editor kingsley singleton thanks kingsley and and thanks to you and and in um in in the in the words of margot ledbetter of the good life yuletide felicitations to you both <laughs> only you would pull that person out <laughs> as a, as a quotable source she's an inspiration and a style icon <laughs> Well, thanks very much, Kingsley. Hope you have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And thanks, thanks, thanks also to editor Mr. Will Chung. Thanks, Will. Pleasure, Raj. And just to echo your message to listeners and readers of Photography News, uh, thanks to all the support we've had in 2021 and look forward to more of the same in 2022. So thank you to everyone and have a great Christmas and a wonderful and very healthy and safe New Year. And we'll see you in 2022. Absolutely. Echo all that, Will. And and look, we've managed to get through a festive pod without any festive puns. So obviously that only leaves me to say that I ho ho hope that you have a fantastic <laughs> Christmas and New Year and we'll see you in 2022. This photography news podcast is sponsored by MPB. Enjoy contact-free doorstep pickups which are safe, convenient, fully insured and completely free of charge. Plus, with a quarter of a million customers and five stars on Trustpilot, you can trust them and sleep easy.